0: Folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm
1: Theory. And today, we've got another one of our wonderful Grab Bag episodes ready for you grab guys. Bag. We're covering a vast array of different stories. we got everything from aerial bombings to human trafficking. We are ready to go today. And, uh, oh, yeah, Epstein didn't kill himself. We should mention that before there we go. There uh, you go. You know, just real quick, if you guys can... Please continue to leave us iTunes reviews. Those really help, uh, you know, anything you can do to help promote the podcast. Get the word out there. Tell your friends. Tell your family. We appreciate everything that you have done. And we really appreciate everything that you're going to do, right? Because you're going right. to continue to do those things. And I'll and tell you what. It's going to be great. My mom really
0: likes the show. Maybe your mom would like the show, too. I'm just <laughs> we, saying.
1: Uh, what is that? Kid approved? Mother tested? There you or something go. Kid like yeah, tested. Yeah. Mom approved. So, uh, okay. First off. 44-year-old Jason Muzzicato of Washington Township, Pennsylvania, was arraigned last month after authorities say he used a drone to drop homemade bombs on his ex-girlfriend's house. (laughs) Sorry for (laughs) laughing. It's just crazy. Uh, apparently, the two have not been getting along since 2017 when both of them sought and received EPOs against each I, other. I love it. This this makes it
0: sound like a like a mutual thing, right? Like you've got a girlfriend. Sometimes you guys get drunk. Maybe you get in a fight. She pulls your hair. So, you know, you got, you got to pop her one right in the mouth, <laughs> maybe, maybe black her eye or something, and she's still mad the next day. She's nagging about her eye, and she talks so much shit that you've got to drop a drone bomb <laughs> on her house. It is.
1: What is wrong it is with people? Quite the escalation. But I mean like I I, I I can almost perfectly picture who both these people are. And I know it's wrong to say that, but like when you hear the dueling EPOs and then you throw in something crazy, like, you know what? I, I'm just gonna go out on a limb here. I bet you we find some meth in this story <laughs> before we reach the end. Let's let's find out. Let's find out. So uh in March the five thousand strong community of Washington Township were subjected to a string of nighttime aerial bombing raids that seemed to center on one street and uh, lasted actually a couple months. lasted all the way to the till May. That's the yeah. That's three months of drone bombings. <laughs> so, uh, and I actually I saw there was a uh, what home footage of, of one of these A the guy had like a camera system on his that's, house. That's how they ended up catching. It. And, and <laughs> yeah, and so you're just looking at this scene and it's just a tree out in front of this house and boom all of a sudden there's this explosion like right in the middle of the tree um i, I that had to be terrifying you know oh, what yeah. i mean like if, everyone if, involved, if, if, if just in the hearing, suburbs
0: you're hearing like bombs go off in the neighborhood like what's happening people are finding nails and stuff all over the streets yeah like,
1: yeah there was one guy said uh straight up one of the bombs when it exploded showered nails everywhere i mean the dude spared no expense for his crazy homemade bombs uh, but he was arrested when authorities searched his house and place of business on June the 7th looking for destructive devices. They had a pretty good idea it was him. Uh, they found a DJI Phantom 3 drone, seven homemade explosive devices, 10 firearms, including multiple AR 15s and semi automatic pistols. Uh, he faces charges for possessing the firearms while the subject of a protection order, flying an unregistered aerial vehicle, and and drug charges because when they arrested him, he was high on meth. They there it is, make, folks. I told you
0: we were going to find it. <laughs> and I got to say, common sense gun laws—they they obviously work because you know <laughs> this guy had firearms while he was yeah. the subject of an EPO, and now he's behind bars. There you so. go. And I,
1: you know, I, I got to say, from what I've seen so far from Mister Mazzaccato, it's probably where he belongs. <laughs> you know? and, um, uh,
0: no <laughs> one was injured,
1: so at least that's that's like a
0: high point of there, this, right? There
1: is another. Yeah, no one was injured, but there is another caveat to the story. This is from the morning call, which I guess is the local paper. And it said, uh, court records also said residents in the area complained that someone had been vandalizing vehicles and causing road hazards by dropping nails and fluids on banger area streets. An examination of Muzakado's vehicle showed it had been modified with dashboard switches to operate devices that could release nails, ball bearings, and fluid including paint thinner that could damage vehicles, court records said.
0: So so they arrested Batman. Batman gone horribly wrong <laughs> with a terrible girlfriend Uh, but bombings and domestic
1: violence aside, like, can we agree that this guy was pretty cool? He is, he is the methed out version of James Bond, dude. He's got, he's got straight up switches. It's like Thunderball or something. James Bond's got that shit. That is crazy, man. But, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, if you got a dream and you know, you work at something, you can be a real life supervillain. I'm so glad this dude's in jail. This is why we can't have nice things. (laughs)
0: Register your drones. Get rid of your firearms when you got an EPO. Don't bomb your girlfriend, folks. Anyway, speaking of drones, how's that segue? Oh, that's good. Uh, We got a story from the Washington Post for you. On October 31st, a Pentagon advisory organization called the Defense Innovation Board published a set of ethical principles for how military agencies should design AI-enabled weapons and apply them on the battlefield. And Lieutenant Jack Shanahan, director of the Defense Department's Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, said the DIB's recommendations will help enhance the DOD's commitment to upholding the highest ethical standards, (laughs) as (laughs) outlined in the DOD AI uh, strategy, while embracing the U.S. military's strong history of applying rigorous testing and fielding (laughs) standards for technology innovations.
1: Oh, yes. Rigorous testing and fielding standards like, like with the M16 mm, or Zoom Class Destroyers ground. or the Bradley Fighting Vehicle or the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. Do you know that the military is actually being sued right now because they issued faulty earplugs to everybody for like earplugs that did not block. Yeah. So these dudes are firing off like artillery pieces and stuff and their earplugs are faulty caused all kinds of hearing damage, but yes, rigorous testing and fielding standards. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so what do we got here? The five ethical principles that the board lays out to guide the DOD's development of AI are as follows. Uh, number one, uh, responsible. Human beings should exercise appropriate levels of judgment and remain responsible for the development, deployment, use, and outcomes of AI systems. And I,
0: I can't clearly see why. I mean, if AI is better at chess, uh, it's better at doctoring, it's better at driving, uh, pretty much better at everything. Shouldn't AI also be responsible for the development, deployment, and use of AI? As,
1: as terrifying as that is um i am i it kills me that they wasted time on this one like like oh yeah of course yes yes okay i mean i guess we got to do this if we're doing it from the ground up but jesus uh number two it should be equitable uh dod should take deliberate steps to avoid unintended bias in the development and deployment of combat or non-combat ai systems that would inadvertently cause harm to persons and Man, let me tell you as as happy as I am that they're like, "Yeah, let's let's avoid
0: bias. You know, we're woke, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're we're in it, we're hip." Uh this is going the total wrong direction because wasn't there a group of really smart people, I think we even covered them maybe last year sometime, oh, that yeah. said, "We just shouldn't connect AI to weapons." Yeah. That that seems like the right idea. I mean, sure, avoid bias in yeah. AI, great. Don't attach AI to <laughs> weapons. Have you never seen the movies?
1: That's that's kind of the point. It's like, you know, here they're worrying about it. And you know, everybody who's doing algorithms and stuff now is worried about the bias that's going into the algorithms and AI. They should be. And they should be. They absolutely should be. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not sure if the the DIB, I'm not sure if they were wrestling with the real ethical questions that we should be asking. America's before. AI weapons will be equal <laughs> opportunity destroyers. Yeah, they absolutely will. Uh number three, they should be traceable. Uh, DoD's AI engineering discipline should be sufficiently advanced such that technical experts possess an appropriate understanding of the technology, development processes, and operational methods of its AI systems, including transparent and auditable methodologies, data sources, and design procedure and documentation.
0: And this is super important so that we can figure out exactly why our drone blooped out and murdered 864
1: civilians after the fact that that actually, you know what? I'm, I'm good with the, the the equitable one, but I, I'm also like when I saw the traceable one, I was like, yes, OK, good. That that one, I actually I wasn't as mad about like to me, that's not as after uh, as much an afterthought as a response as someone thing.
0: who comes from a tech background. That's obviously like the most. That's also the most obvious one in this list. Like, (laughs) you don't create an automated
1: weapon system without logs. You don't like. (laughs) You don't. You shouldn't have created the Bradley fighting vehicle without you know some way to trace what's wrong with it, right? (laughs) I mean, does the Department of Defense have to constantly remind itself of this? This is them
0: learning from their past mistakes. (laughs) Uh,
1: Number four, it should be reliable. (laughs) AI systems should have an explicit. Well-defined domain of use and the safety, security, and robustness of such systems should be tested and assured across the entire life cycle within that domain of use.
0: Yes, and and this being the DOD, uh, that domain of use will include but not be limited to (laughs) battlefield supremacy. Regime change wars across the world, securing the world's resources by extreme violence and obviously massive surveillance on levels that human minds have yet to even imagine. Uh, I'm glad they're on our team, I guess. Go go USA.
1: <laughs> they, they are on our team, right? The, the last one I'm calling the Skynet principle, and it's the one where I was like, thank God somebody put this on here, okay? It's governable. Uh, The DOD AI system should be designed and engineered to fulfill their intended function while possessing the ability to detect and avoid unintended harm or disruption. Sure. Sure and disengage or deactivate deployed systems that demonstrate unintended escalatory or other behavior Make If sure y'all we build put in a this kill switch. shit without a kill switch i
0: swear to god all right man look like, man it none of none of this even matters cuz boeing can't even engineer a, a 757 <laughs> that won't dip at random times killing every passenger on board oh man give I, me a break man are the one of, <laughs> we shouldn't be here. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like <laughs> these points,
1: fine. And da- we shouldn't be here guys. You know, it was interesting. If you, if you get into this, this ethics report, because of course I, I skimmed through the whole thing for no good reason. And, uh, but there's this whole section where they're talking about, I think it was in the equitable section, right? Where they were like, we want to make sure that we're very clear that we don't mean fair. We mean equitable. We chose the word equitable on purpose because and, and then for like, I swear to God, a page and a half, the Department of Defense brags about the fact that they don't believe in fair fights.
2: <laughs> right <laughs> they well do. you want battlefield no, no, they supremacy yeah right? they're, they're yeah. like
1: they're like we want complete battlefield supremacy so we absolutely don't mean fair because if the u.s army is ever in a fair fight then we've done something wrong like that's how they're what talking. Me, what we mean is we're going to slaughter all of the iraqis indiscriminately we
0: want to make sure they're not picking out the darker <laughs> iraqis to murder <laughs> yeah. first
1: and, and don't oh. don't get me wrong like to an extent you know i understand the army having that mindset but it was the fact that that even here in the middle of an ethics report that no one else is going to read, you know what I mean? Like except for uh, staffers and pages and stuff and like giving summaries to higher ups, they still had to go for a page and a half and be like, yeah, we don't even get in fair (laughs) fights because our, our weapon systems are so dope. Like, Oh my God, man, give me a break. The good news is, or maybe it's the bad news is that when they do create these AI monstrosities and unleash them on the world, they'll have plenty of data with which to track down our enemies and 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 probably us alike when they start taking us out, right? That's
0: right. So our, our next story is about SIFT data. And uh, for a November 4th article in the New York Times, journalist Kashmir Hill requested his personal file from this company called SIFT. And it's a company that offers a digital trust and security suite to other companies aimed at reducing online fraud. Think chargeback scams and fake accounts. Actually... Think uh, Chinese social credit system, just not on the public books. Anyway, uh, to help achieve that goal, SIFT purchases personal data to feed into its proprietary scoring system that tracks. Up to 16,000 factors. Uh, Users of SIFT include Airbnb and OkCupid, to name a few. And until recently, SIFT did not offer consumers the opportunity to see their own personal file. But that changed this summer, possibly in response to an article about them in the Wall Street Journal by Christopher Mims. Uh, So anyway, Hill, to do this story, contacted SIFT to request his personal file and said, Yeah, I got mine, and I found it shocking. More than 400 pages long, it contained all the messages I'd ever sent to hosts on Airbnb, years of Yelp delivery orders, a log of every time I'd opened the Coinbase app on my iPhone. Many entries included detailed information about the device I used to do these things, including my IP address at the time. Uh, Sift knew, for example, that I'd used my iPhone to order chicken tikka masala, vegetable samosas, and garlic naan on a Saturday night in April three years ago. (laughs) It knew I used my app laptop to sign into Coinbase on January 2017 to change my password. Uh, Sift even knew about a nightmare Thanksgiving I'd had in California's wine country as captured in my messages to the Airbnb host of a rental called Cloud9. If you see that rental, just avoided it. No, and it sounds awful.
1: It's crazy because... In he's got it right there. So they had the messages going back and forth. He's like, "Hey, you know, there's water leaking from everywhere," and he's got the responses and stuff. So, so I mean, they they jacked everything yeah. from this man's phone just based on what he was using in these apps. And of course, it's because of you know everybody waving their stuff when they agree to these terms of services. And and, and I, I like
0: let's that. be clear that companies like that are using this data, like Airbnb, are doing it uh, to screen people. Yeah. So they're they're getting an idea of their history and who they are, and deciding whether or not to do business with them or not. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure credit companies are using information like this to determine interest rates. I I would not be surprised if insurance companies are using data like this to decide what your insurance premiums are. Oh, you engage in risky behavior. Here we've got 400 messages on you know skateboarding emporium that show that you do crazy shit. All the time, uninsurable. Goodbye. Yeah. Like if if we think that's outside the realm of reality, I think
1: we're crazy. Yeah. Well, and there's I mean there's all sorts of these companies that most of us have never even heard of. For instance, he'll list the appropriate links or email addresses to request your your personal file from five of these sorts of companies, and I personally have never heard of any of these. Of course got, not. They don't want you to know. He's got Sift, uh, Zeta Global, Retail Equation, Riskified, and Customer. Um, You can find those links. We're actually going to put them up on our website so that you guys can, you know, go through that and try to request your information. And please do go request your information. But don't be surprised if your request is not honored. As Hill points out, sharing this info is largely voluntary on the part of these companies at this point. And, for instance, the company Customer, and that's customer with a K, um, has been giving Hill the runaround, like he still hasn't got his information from that company. And I think that's what we can expect from
0: these giant companies, man. They're making good money selling your data. If people find out the actual lengths that these are these companies are going through, um, and and what all data they have on you, I think people are going to start asking for data privacy protections, like they've got in the EU. Um, up up until now in America, I think people just kind of take the uh, you know the attitude of. Ah, you know, I got nothing to hide, yeah. so be it, no biggie. Uh, and you go on about your day. But th- the truth is, man, I-, I think we all probably have something to hide somewhere, even if it's not super nefarious. Um, I got a quick story. I mean, I-, I work in IT and I took over a YouTube account from a freelancer for a client of mine. Um, and I was digging through, familiarizing myself with the account, and I noticed there were three videos in the YouTube history. And these videos were about how to use the love of Christ and the power of Christ um, to get through being an ex-gay. Oh. So... Here I am, you know, face to face with with this realization that, oh, God, now I know about this guy's uh, terribly tormented life that he leaves, uh, that he leads. I know he's going to use religion as a tool to avoid his true character. Uh, I, I had to troll his public Facebook post and, you know, look at pictures of his wife, who was clearly sad that he was never going
1: to deliver her a child. OK, um, easy, easy, easy. I mean, he, he could have been he could have been many could have been doing research for a podcast. Okay, I mean maybe I, mean, I leaned in.
0: Guy. The, maybe I leaned in a little <laughs> yeah, hard. little hard on But I think, but I, I think my point stands though is that those types of of assumptions about who a person is are going to be made with this data, right? I mean, I'm just a guy, and that story was clearly made up. But this is happening all across the country um and companies are making assumptions about who we are and i think you're naive if you don't think our government is also profiling people with this data and making assumptions about who they are yeah um i think that our politicians are, are inside of this data pool. And if you don't think that Russia is getting access to this kind of data and using it to blackmail politicians, I mean, Airbnb rentals, really, right. You know, you got, you got, uh, this guy going off to an Airbnb with his not a wife on the weekend (laughs) and now you've got material to blackmail. Yeah. But
1: I think, I think still, you know, for the majority of people, like you say, when they hear, Oh, well, they got my Airbnb rentals or uh, they know that I opened up this app on this day. You know, I, hopefully the text messages are distressing to some, you know, to most people, but, um, but you know, when they find out, oh, they got my activity on this, people still kind of write it off. But let me ask you a question. Uh, what if it was all your health information? Because, you know, it just came out, uh, I think over the weekend, the wall street journal broke a story about Google. Uh, they're doing something called operation nightingale. Yes. And so basically Google has been in cahoots with this healthcare system over the past three years in secret aggregating people's complete uh, health information. We're talking about lab results, doctor diagnoses, uh, hospitalization records. Um, I mean, just everything. And what they're doing is they're trying to set up, uh, you know, their own AI system that will help with diagnosing and help with prescribing and all that. Good right. Stuff. They
0: described it as a portal that doctors could log into and have all of the relevant information you know, within one or two clicks from right. this from this dashboard. And I got to
1: say that that makes sense. But what it amounts to is there are 150 employees. That's what Google is admitted to uh, who have access to all this data. Unfettered. At Google access to all that data have complete access to all your medical records do you still feel good about it no 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 i mean i was i I didn't want them to know how many times i opened up Pornhub, but i definitely (laughs) don't need them digging around in my medical history (laughs) (laughs) well if you don't like companies digging in your phone how do you feel about the government digging into your dna oh lovely yeah so at the recent international association of chiefs of police conference in chicago Orlando Police Detective Michael Fields revealed that he sought and was granted a warrant by Florida's Ninth Judicial Circuit Court to search the DNA database of the company GED Match. That's right, and GED Match is a genealogy and genetic database that allows
0: users to upload their DNA test results to a website, then compare it against other users to search for matches. Uh, what's notable about this case is that after assisting with the capture of Joseph, Joseph James D'Angelo, who authorities believed to be the noted serial murderer and rapist, the Golden State Killer, uh, as well as a violent assault case in Utah, GEDmatch restricted its database to law enforcement officials amid concern from critics and watchdogs. Uh, It required that law enforcement officials notify the company before attempting to use its database in this way, and even then would only provide the data on users who had opted in to make their test results searchable by police. So
1: you had to actually, they they went to their users after because everybody was up in arms after they had tracked down the Golden State Killer and all that stuff, and they were like, "Oh, uh, what are you, what are you doing with our DNA stuff?" And they were like, "Yeah, no, we 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 kind of let it get away from us there. So here's what we're gonna do." And GED Match tried to somewhat be responsible. They were like, "Here, here's what we're gonna do. If you're a cop, you have to notify us before you even get on there. If you don't, you know, we're gonna kick your boot your account as soon as we find out." And Which they you never know, would. You're not really? allowed to have access to this stuff. But they also, they went to, I think a mil- they have a million strong database and they went to their people and they said, you decide whether or not the cops can look at your DNA. That's respectable. And you have to opt into it. So right. everybody else who just signs up, you're out. You cannot be seen by a cop account. That's I, I think that is the core of not snitching right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> However, things changed uh, because the warrant granted by the Florida court gave Detective Fields full access to the entire GED match database. Uh, Orrin Kerr at the legal blog The Volokh Conspiracy posted an entry about the legal aspects of the warrant, and that link is in the show notes if you care to go read yeah, it.
1: I, to quickly summarize what, what Oren Kerr is saying, This he sees how the court could get there, like as much as and as much as I don't like it, like I get it because he likened it. He used an anecdote. He was like, think of a bar. Right. And you think there are potential suspects for a crime inside a bar and the bar says no police allowed because we don't want to participate in that stuff. Can you see the court issuing a warrant to the police to, to go, go search into the, the bar? bar? Sure, because anybody could walk into that bar, and that's kind of what happens here. Anybody, if you're just a man off the street, you can search that database. To say that the police can't is—you start getting into murky water. Well, anyone can search that database,
0: but uh, the people who opt out uh, are they included? You know, there's there's things I still don't yes. know. Yes,
1: actually, okay. So, so if you If you opt out, the only thing you're opting out is from a police search. Right. And so
0: we've talked about things like this several times on the show now. And clearly we're in the midst of a completely gray area where uh, we have tools that can intrude on each other's privacy where the government is still restricted from intruding on people's right. privacies via the U.S. Constitution. You know, <laughs> right, obviously, right. these powers are are to restrict the government, not individuals. So we're at this weird place where the lines are blurred now, yeah. and we may even be hamstringing cops with less power than the average citizen well, has.
1: So correctly, you know, and I think Orrin Kerr, he, might, he either said something similar to this, or he might have said it exactly, but what expectation of privacy is there? When the whole point of you posting your DNA test information was so that the public could search it.
0: And honestly, you know I I, mean? I got to agree. If you shared your DNA data with this company so that people could search it, I don't think you've got much of a leg to stand on yeah. uh, when you're saying, oh, keep your warrants off my data.
1: Well, then pump breaks, though, because you could make a case that nobody had actually thought of that. And when the company came back and said, OK, hey, guys, police might search this database You know, X X amount of people, because if I remember correctly, and I could be off on these numbers, they have a million uh, users and it was something like 85% uh, or only 15% opted in. Oh, to, to being searched, to by, being the searched yeah, by the yeah. police. So well, the rest of them, when confronted with the choice, said, I don't want that. Right. So, so is there now an expectation? It,
0: there is now, I would yeah. say. Absolutely. Uh, if if you've put it in your terms and conditions and people have said, keep this data out of this these specific hands, and mm-hmm. the company does not do such, then they have failed in their obligation to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Clear cut. No questions asked.
1: It's. I'll, t- I'll tell you what's not clear, though, is like the ramifications that this can have going forward. Because... Next you got to think about GED match is actually one of the smaller genealogy sites. But if something like this goes against 23andMe or Ancestry.com, 23andMe has 10 million users. Woo! Ancestry.com has 15 million users. And we're talking about an extremely large database. And and what it comes down to is what exactly was the wording on the affidavit that detective field submitted in order to get that warrant that says everything. So, uh, you know, in science magazine, there was an interview with Natalie Ram, a law professor at the university of Maryland. And she said, you know, a lot of this turns on the specifics of the affidavit submitted to secure the warrant. If they said we did some preliminary work before the GED match opt-in policy. So we knew that there were some relatives, but we didn't get enough information to aid our investigation. That would be less panic inducing because it would mean that this is sort of a special circumstance. But if it says, here's this article in science by Yanov Ehrlich and colleagues indicating that if you have a database of 1.3 million people, 60% of Americans of European descent will have a third cousin or closer in this database, which makes them trackable. And the police say, let us in. That's much scarier. Right. So, you know, I, what she's saying I mean, is we're playing seven steps shot, to Kevin Bacon here. Yeah. You're shotgunning it. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, you know, also if I go back to the episode that we did about the death penalty and we, you know, we were talking about the reliability of DNA testing, I want people to consider for a moment when we were talking about that partial DNA, this, this allows the potential for a cop to go through this database see what dna he's got to match to right you've got to go back
0: you've got a partial dna strand and you go well these people these hundred people all meet this partial dna strand right now you've got possibly an expert witness who can reconstruct the rest of that partial dna yeah, and I make know. it look like their man
1: and an expert We've witness would happen. never do that oh, right
0: not for you know a thousand dollars an hour they never not.
1: take bite molds of somebody and then go bite a corpse just to frame somebody right <laughs> (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's 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 real messed up. I mean, the only thing that I can say uh, to people like for tomorrow is is don't do this. Like like until you know how this is going to shake out, do not upload your DNA information to these websites.
0: I think we know how it's going to shake out, man. It's going to be used and abused and and there's going to be some good use and some useful things that come of it. But uh, I think that when we when we give tools this powerful to law enforcement uh, and to our corrupt ass crooked justice system, they abuse it. Inevitably, yeah. they will.
1: Well, the good news, I mean, there is there is a ray of hope. Twenty three and Me, uh, straight up, came out and said that if Fields had brought them that warrant, they would not have complied, hmm. and they would have fought it until they ran out of money. And and Ancestry has taken uh, a, a similar position in the past. Good for and, them. And They're obviously. You know, they're partially worried about their business. You know what I mean? But but that is the stance. I'm not
0: sure they have more money than the U.S. government. But, yeah. you know, yeah. see
1: who runs out first. That's the stance that both of them have taken. So at least, you know, it'll have its day in court, how it would shake out. But, but that's, you know, I want – I think people think – you know, especially in a case like this. Well, you know, the the company came and said, I can opt out of the plea. It's not up to the company, man. It's up to the government. That's right. It's up to the courts <laughs> the, and the, the judges. The federales are going to make that decision, man. So like, so in in
0: another case of uh, governmental abuse, we'll hmm. say, uh, we're going to swing over and talk about Yuri Raffaele, an 83-year-old retiree. Uh, He underpaid his property taxes by the kingly sum of $8.41. $8.41. What would you do to recoup $8.41? I just want
1: everyone to remember $8.41.
0: Right. I'm sure you wouldn't steal his house to get it back. But (laughs) that's exactly what authorities of Oakland County, Michigan did. Uh, They gave that miserable tax shirking son of a bitch exactly what he deserves by seizing his house and selling it at a profit to the county of twenty four thousand five hundred dollars. And that is thanks to Act one twenty three of nineteen ninety nine, a piece of legislation passed in. Yep, you guessed it. Nineteen ninety nine that grants Michigan's eighty three county treasurers the authority to act as debt collectors in tax foreclosure cases. Ah, uh, the law and its effects were recently highlighted in an excellent Reason.com piece that can be found in the show notes. Yeah,
1: to give to give you guys a quick idea of how this works, you are short on your taxes, right? And what happens is the city that you live in, uh, when you reach a certain point, I think in Michigan, you know, it's uh, the taxes are due in July and December, and once we hit March, after that that date that you were supposed to pay in December. The city turns your tax bill over to the county treasurer. Now the county treasurer gets to act straight up like a debt collector. Mm. They start slapping on uh, uh, what do you call it? interest fees. you know oh, what yeah. I'm saying They start adding uh, processing fees and all that stuff. and as quickly as a year later, your house goes on the market. And it's up for auction, right? Now, you've still got time. It's, it's really weird how this works out. The way it works out is the person's supposed to have two years and 30 days in order to still rectify the, you know, make the payment to the tax people and everything. That sounds like long enough. However, well, <laughs> but see, here's the thing there people aren't even getting notified until (laughs) six, seven, eight months in, they would never have there's the system is set up for them not to be notified until six, seven, eight months in the house is already going on the market as you know what I mean? So like they're, they're really pushing the pace. This is a process that used to take five to seven years. And since they've done this changed the law and the major change here is that the County treasurer gets to not only, you know, act like a, a debt collector, but they get to keep everything in excess of what you owed when they sell and your house, and that
0: is the messed up part to me. I could understand recouping costs um, for for serving the notices, uh, administrative costs um, for someone tracking the data and figuring it out, and delivering you know whatever needs to be delivered, posting the foreclosure notice, the auction shit. Yeah, pay for all that, but no one in the government should be profiting. From this process, especially not for eight dollars and forty-one cents.
1: Right. Well, so the idea was, and you know, this came about in part because of what's happened with Detroit, but the idea was to curb urban blight, right? And
0: and let me stay, let me stop you for a second and say, Detroit needed something. I you know, I drove through Detroit 14 years ago, and every other house was was blighted, uh dilapidated, falling apart. Uh, the copper had long been stolen, the windows had been knocked out, and that's like all over Detroit, everywhere yep. you go. Nice neighborhoods with yep. houses that clearly have no one living there that have an owner that's just abandoned the property. That's when we had things like, you know, the $5 house show yep. up uh, on Zillow. Well, it wasn't Zillow back then, but, you know, whatever. It, it, people were buying distressed properties for, you know, next Pennies. to nothing. Yeah, no $1,000 houses. Yeah. And
1: we needed it, you know, yep. that that
0: needed to happen.
1: And that's exactly the state that they found themselves in when they were passing this law. And I'm sure they said, you know, it's these awful landlords who have abandoned these properties. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna speed up the timetable. You guys, here's, we're gonna pass this law that'll empower us to get these greedy, filthy landlords out of these properties who ah, don't want to fix the them up.
0: Road to hell paved <laughs> with good <laughs> yeah. intentions. So
1: before you know it, now we're in a situation where these houses have been bought by people who went and swooped in and got them on those auctions. Now they're trying to fix them up, or you have families living in them. And this law is now forcing families out. Right. Right? So so let's take, for instance, uh, you know, Raffelli, for instance. He originally underpaid his 2011 taxes by $496. He was informed of, in June of 2012. He attempted to settle the debt in January of 2013, but miscalculated the amount of interest now owed and underpaid by $8.41. And that's really easy to do. By the way... That two-year clock I was talking about has been ticking this entire time. Right. Through this whole process, right? In February of 2014, his house was put up for auction despite his having made all the payments in full before and since. The county pocketed $24,500 after subtracting what Raffaele owed. The property is currently listed at $128,000. Raffaele originally paid $60,000 for it. So that's... Straight up $68,000, this man missed out on because he miscalculated $8.41 worth of interest. Right. It's insane. It's, it's robbery. And and it's not just, you know, I mean, it's happening to people all over. There, there's Romaldo and Erica Perez, a father and daughter duo living in New Jersey who pooled their savings to purchase an abandoned single family home and small adjacent four unit apartment. And building. this is a guy who's helping out yeah. with the urban blight. Right. He's trying to get in, He's one of those turn people.
0: the property around. They had planned on living in the house and renting out the apartments.
1: Yeah. And he was driving like 11 hours from New Jersey up. Up there to fix up the houses they had Family that lived up there so they were excited They were going to get to move up there they were going to have A rental property they were going to you know Live the American dream, man. That's
0: right. But the Reason.com article goes on to say, uh, the first year they owned the property, they underpaid their property taxes by $144. County tax records show that they made full payments on time every subsequent year, but Wayne County never informed them of the unpaid debt, they say, because the notices were sent to the wrong
1: Address and here's the thing about the notices being sent to the wrong address, right? Like so, things like that happen, right? But the problem was is that the notices that said that they owed taxes were sent to the wrong address. But future correspondence about the tax payments that they were making were going back and forth between the new address. Of just course, they fine. were. Of there course. was never another late notice that was sent. In 2017, the county foreclosed on their property, sold it for $108,000, and kept the excess equity beyond the $359 owed in back taxes, fees, and interest. A survey by nonprofit Quicken Loan Community Fund in Detroit of 60,000 property owners who owned owed delinquent taxes found that although most knew they owed the taxes few had a clear understanding of the process or the possible consequences so and what onus i mean what why would the government
0: ever make this process clear they right. are profiting hundreds of thousands of dollars for every house that they can take like this yep. the onus is on them to make it as
1: as opaque and hard to deal with as possible to pile the red tape up stretch and, it out buddy and, and you'll see we're actually we're going to post a link to the oral arguments before the Michigan Supreme Court in Rafael's case and you know sometimes guys supreme court arguments are real dry mm-hmm. and stuff and and I get it but Watch this one because the justices are having a field day and the arguments, you know, in one sense, the lawyers are are arguing about this issue and it really does. It almost sounds like an episode of our podcast. Like, you know, it's a little bit more formal than that, but they're talking about this issue. Like does the city have a right to keep this money? If this person is in, no. And, and, and so they're making these arguments and it's great. But one of the things is the lawyer for the, the County treasurer, sorry, says, uh, you know, it's not like people want to take the houses. They want the money. And and what he meant was they would have rather been paid beforehand. They don't want to take the houses. But I beg to differ, and I have this last case that I want to bring up real quick just to make that abundantly clear. In one instance where a home was being built in Cass County, Michigan, the county satisfied the law requirements of notification by sending two certified letters to the property, right? That's, that's part of what they had to right. do. Right. <clears throat> This, despite the fact that the letters were returned as undeliverable because the house was being built. Nobody Nobody lived lived there, there, right? Right. The first phone call that the owner received was two weeks after foreclosure. And he was like, well, I'll pay. I didn't know. And they were like, no, too late. Sorry,
0: we sent two notices to an address we knew you
1: weren't at. Yeah. So you'll see this lawyer get up in front of the, the state Supreme Court and he'll say, you know, they try to work with people. They don't want to put people out. Well, then why didn't they accept this man's money? You know, cause he was like, dude, I've got the money. I've got the money in spades. I didn't know I was unpaid. Well,
0: let's be honest. They want to take the houses and we've covered three specific cases here, but let's be clear. Over a hundred thousand properties have been seized in this manner since 2002. Wayne County, the home of Detroit has funneled million into its delinquent tax surplus fund since 2012. That's almost half a billion dollars. Uh, Oakland County, where Raffaele's home was seized, has $196 million in assets in its fund. And these funds are used to shore up budget deficits and start new projects. And that's one of the main arguments that these counties are putting up is like guys you're going to bankrupt us if we stop this and i'm saying if if stealing houses from people (laughs) is the only way you can shore up your budgets then buddy you need to figure something out or get
1: the hell out no that's honestly the case they're making and not and and it has they've pointed to all sorts of good new animal shelters and all this stuff and i'm sure they campaigned on that hey i'm the guy that got the new animal shelter built so i mean so it's not, you know, you think, oh, they're pocketing this money and stuff. They are putting quite a bit of it back into the community. But then there's this one guy, right? There's this guy in Wayne County, and oh that boy. would be Detroit. And his name is Eric Sabrie. Not only did Sabrie admit on a local web-based show that the city routinely manipulates the parceling of the properties to be auctioned to ensure the city retains choice properties for itself. So in other words, what he's saying is they take all kinds of crappy properties. And put them in a bundle with really good properties, so that the people who are buying at these auctions won't buy that parcel because of all the crap they got to take on. So then he's like, "Oh, cool! The city of Detroit gets this property. That's good. Yeah, heck yeah, man! Uh, No one wanted it." So, so not only did he just straight up admit that they were manipulating it that way, but an expose by the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News, when the two papers of record in your town come together to do an (laughs) investigative report, (laughs) it brought to light. That uh, Sabris' own relatives had purchased several of the Say foreclosed it homes. Ain't so when confronted, he said that the ethic rules that forbid treasurers' office employees or relatives from purchasing the properties were intrusive and unrealistic. <laughs> and then the ethics board clears them five to one. Yeah. And and
0: fair enough. Fair enough. Their ruling said that this had all happened before the 2012 rules had been put in place. Their ruling said
1: that a particular set of properties that were bought by his wife were bought in 2011 and the ethic rules went into place in 2012. There are plenty of other family members who have bought properties since that are still, it's still being litigated. Intrusive
0: and unrealistic (laughs) my ass. What's intrusive and unrealistic is allowing county officials to steal property from people and then funnel it to their family members. And I got to say, man, I got a sneaking feeling, and this is totally just based on intuition, if we did a bias assessment of (laughs) whose properties were being taken, do you think it's going to be rich white guys? I mean, the names of these, I'm just saying. uh, Just throwing it out there.
1: No, actually, to to be fair, quite a few of them are rich white. Really? Yeah. No. So actually there are people, that's the problem with what they've created. They have created a system where people are now speculating on these, on these properties because they're getting them into auction for so cheap, right? Nobody's ever allowed to keep. uh, So when you have a hundred thousand cases over the last, you know, 10 years or whatever of, of people, you know, uh, underpaying a, a tax payment here, underpaying a tax payment there, you're constantly pumping those properties Back into the market, back into auction. Right. So, you know, we were talking about, you know, the house is selling for $1,000 or the house is selling for $24,000 or whatever. Well, and then this guy underpays and then blow, that that goes right back on the market. So they're actually speculators who are now going in there doing exactly what they didn't want. They're buying the properties, not tending to them, not fixing them up, letting people move in there, and then seeing if they can offload them. If they can't offload them, they don't pay the taxes and just let somebody, you know what I mean? Because they got rent. They got their money back because they're spending so little to get them to begin with. It is creating an awful market for housing in in the state of Michigan. But here's the problem. It is not unique to Michigan. Massachusetts has a much less aggressive, but still they have a very similar law right Montana on the Montana too. Montana does as well, and there are a couple other places. The, again, I cannot stress enough how much, if, if, if you've ever if you never done anything like it, watch the oral arguments before the state Supreme Court because there there's some very interesting ideas. For instance, one of the state lawyer at one point gets up there and he's like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's like if my kids leave their toys out in the room and, and you know, I say, hey, if you don't pick it up, I'm going to take it. If you don't pick it up, I'm going to take it. He said, at some point, I got to take it. And, and the lady, the lady got her, who was representing Raffaele. She comes up to the mic and she's like, "Well, first off, the state's not our parents." And I was yeah. like, "Oh, thank you, touchdown!" <laughs>
0: the you only know? reason I'm laughing is because I really want to cry. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, there's, there's one. This part- smacks of like civil forfeiture, man. I no, mean, and that's- this is this is exact mirror image of civil forfeiture. Like we are allowing the government to just run roughshod over. You thought tax was theft? <laughs> yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? All you
0: libertarians out there who are going, taxation is th- no, this is
1: theft. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, that's the case they're making, though. So, like, when so when these states get drug up before the courts, they're saying, "Well, this is just like civil forfeiture." Well, there's a difference, and there's actually there's some interesting things when we start talking about that. For one, this isn't a criminal offense, right? right. The the whole idea, I mean, civil forfeiture is garbage, but the idea is that it, at least there was it a rests crime on
0: the premise that, that there, there might a crime, have been a, yeah, might have been a crime,
1: yeah. But so this is this is a civil matter, and then secondly. When we put somebody in prison like a felon in prison, they still get the excess. Right? So for instance, if I took somebody's house, right? And I and I'm not using civil forfeiture, right? If I if somebody gets arrested and he's a felon and he doesn't pay the taxes on his house cuz now he's in prison and the government sells his house like it's, you know, a taking right. or whatever. Right,
0: they recoup expenses. They
1: recoup expenses and then the felon gets the excess. So, you know, at one point, like I said, one of the Supreme Court judges asked him, he was like, So, are you telling me that the the citizens of Michigan? aren't entitled to the same rights that we extend to felons. Wow. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, man, it was it was, it was brutal. I mean, I, you kind of already know how the Michigan. I, I can't can believe
0: run. that the Michigan people aren't in the streets with, you know, AK-47s and drone bombs yeah. at this point. I, I don't know, man.
1: No, they, they absolutely should. But, it, you know, it just goes to show <laughs> they, you. <laughs> you heard they, it from they him. Yeah. They should go in no, the streets should. with AK-47s and if, drone bombs. If if, if they're, ta- man, taking stuff like that, You're yeah, getting arrested for drone bombs. But it goes to show you, though, that it's not just you know it's it's the state, it's the corporations. We're catching it from all sides, and and we gotta we gotta sharpen up, man. Like we gotta we do have to start getting involved in supreme courts and getting data privacy laws passed, right? Because we gotta do something, man. They are closing in on us, you know. what
0: I mean? <laughs> From all sides, they're stealing
1: kids. They man. are
0: not closing in on, however, is baby mills. Oh
1: man. While we're on the subject of county officials, uh, let's let's talk about Paul Peterson from Good Old Maricopa County, Arizona. Home of Sheriff Joe Arpaio, or as I like to call it, the Florida of the West.
0: That's right. Paul Peterson, the county tax assessor for Maricopa County, was arrested last month on charges that he led a multi-million dollar scheme to smuggle pregnant women from the Marshall Islands all the way to the United States so he could then sell their newborn babies. Peterson is accused of promising the women ten grand, transporting them into the states using an immigration loophole of sorts, housing them in, let's just say, less than stellar conditions, <laughs> yeah. uh, defrauding hospitals and state Medicaid agencies to deliver the babies, and then selling the babies under the guise of his work as an adoption attorney.
1: Oh, and then often flying the mothers back to the Marshall Islands with less than the ten thousand dollars that he had actually you promised. Don't them.
0: say I'm sure he was docking them for all that medical care so, they received.
1: So this is how this works. For one, Paul Peterson, in addition to having the whitest sounding name ever, is actually a a very prolific Paul ad- Peter Robinson. <laughs> he is a prolific adoption Peterson. attorney, right? And so, and he'd also done missionary work. For the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. You don't say. In the Marshall Islands. Well, it turns out because of the weird status that the Marshall Islands have with us, we kind of own them and we don't, you know. Uh, if you live in the Marshall Islands, you are allowed to immigrate here pretty much at will without a visa um, unless... Uh, you are coming here to put your child up for adoption. Oh, you don't say. Then there has to actually be paperwork. And, I, you know, I've, if I'd read that law two weeks ago, I'd have been like, well, that's a weird exception. <laughs> why, why is that? Well, it turns out it's because of people like Paul Peterson. Um, according to the AP... The expecting mothers were often crowded in the homes with the Marshallese women Peterson employed helping with things like translation, transportation, legal documents, and application for Medicaid benefits. Uh, Women got little to no prenatal care in Utah and in one house slept on mattresses laid on bare floors in what one shocked adoptive family described as a baby mill, according to court documents. Uh, many of the mothers described their ordeal as being treated like property, said Duane keys, the U S attorney for the Western district of Arkansas, make no mistake. This case is the purest form of human trafficking. And I mean, this case—you've got stuff in Arizona, you got stuff in Arkansas, you got stuff in Utah. Paul was was nationwide,
0: multiple houses, (laughs) multiple houses, pregnant women. Like, what in the world is going on here?
1: Well, it sounds awful, doesn't it? But but get this: here's here's what's really interesting about this story. You're going to blow
0: my mind, aren't you?
1: I I, maybe. By my estimation, Paul almost didn't do anything illegal. No, no, I'm 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 being dead serious, man. So check us out. The special law allows immigration except to put your kid up for adoption, right? Most of the charges, if you you go through all his indictments and stuff, most of the charges are fraud and forgery, either from filling out Medicaid paperwork or uh, the women knowing that they weren't going to remain in the states or not telling the adoptive parents that the women were paid for their babies and brought here in violation of international law. But, but that's most of what they charged him with, right. Was like fraud and forgery that is linked to the case, but it all hinges on one thing. And that's them going back to the Marshall islands. If, if these moms would have stayed here, right. And said, no, no, no. I just, I happen to be having a baby, but I have come to the United States to live. If they just stayed here, he didn't do anything illegal. And And this is a weird
0: gray area because, like, we don't want people selling babies, right? I don't think parents can, like go put their baby on Craigslist, unborn even, and say, like, "Uh, someone pay me 10 grand and take this baby. I I don't think that even parents can go attempt to buy babies. So we've got middlemen in adoption agencies that have to be really careful and tiptoe around to facilitate the adoption of babies because we don't want people fucking to make babies just to sell them. That's crazy. So the
1: question is, like, what constitutes... Selling a baby. Like, if Paul gets paid for, you know, whatever work he does to see the adoption go through, is that the price of a baby? Like, mm-hmm. are you paying for the baby or are you paying for the adoption process? You're paying for the baby. So there was, was profit I mean, somewhere. Yeah. The guy was a millionaire. No, How absolutely. much money did he make from this scheme? Two point seven million, $2.7 million dollars. Two point seven million dollars he had in an account solely off of this operation. Oh my $2.7 god! Million what are we doing? <laughs> drone bombings they're stealing houses I, we're selling babies i full-on expected this man to have multiple counts of of child selling right or uh, child straight up human trafficking. human trafficking something like that so i looked he and says
0: this is the purest case of human trafficking that's that's human what trafficking said. doesn't appear in the charges it's
1: not there there are a couple cases in utah he got hit with like i think it was four total charges in utah of child selling but here's the deal here's why he got he actually got uh charged with child selling for child buying. He qualifies under that law because he paid the women the $10,000 to come here and have the baby. Uh-huh. It's it's not about the it's not about the baby. It's not about selling it to the adoptive uh-huh. parents. It's because he paid the women to come here and have the baby. In the United
0: States, it is legal to put 10 women in your house on mattresses <laughs> yeah. and then and then pawn them off to adopting parents it, it would appear so it's it's perfectly legal as long as you don't do it from the uh, i take that back you can even take women from the marshall islands as long as they don't go back for me you know maybe a year and that's the thing a year afterwards they can change their minds and move back most it's not of, like it's a it's a permanent move you yeah, have most to make. of what
1: they got him was for medicare fraud because you know they said yeah no i'm gonna be here in the united states so i, I need medicare and they got medicare and then they left and like, that's the majority of what he got Trump charged Trump supporters
0: with. are going to have a field day with this. <laughs> uh, you know, this immigration leeching off of our support systems and stuff. But something tells well, me they're not
1: going to care because I guarantee you he's a Republican. Oh, he's absolutely a Republican. Guarantee. absolutely a Republican as much as Eric Sabrian. Our last story was a Democrat, 100%. County officials, let me take it back, the government is— is trying to, to screw you over. They're gonna sell your kids. They're gonna take your <laughs> house. Everything is black. God help us
2: all. Benzo, make it worse. I don't make things worse, Theory. I make it rain with facts. Get your umbrella, son. That's right, buddies. Your old friend, world-class producer and fact checker, extraordinaire Binzo, is back once again to put a little lipstick on this pig. Since. Earlier in the episode, when you were doing your domestic violence apologism, did you have a nagging feeling like maybe there was something you were leaving out? Like right around the time you were saying Boeing can't build a 757 when you meant 737? Did you have that moment of pause like when you can't remember if you left the stove on or not? How about you, Theory? When you were advocating for mass rioting and drone bombings in Detroit, Were you wondering what it'd be like to do these shows with a sense of pride and integrity? Like to actually live up to the standards and intellectual honesty you espouse? I'm just trying to wrap my head around the sheer audacity. The chutzpah. The brazen boldness it takes to showcase the utter lack of scruples you two have by letting episode after episode pass by without a mention of this Ukrainian phone call. How was it possible? Impeachment proceedings are some of the most rarely seen parts of this nation's political process. As a show, with the word politics literally in the iTunes description, how could you ever be so shamelessly fraudulent as to stay silent on this? I mean, it'd be like if a world leader attempted to blackmail a foreign country into digging up dirt. Uh, uh, oh, oh, right. I think we know the answer to this one. Hacks, back to you. Back to us indeed. Did you seriously just
0: insinuate that I might beat my wife for leaving the stove on? That's absolutely ridiculous. And I think I speak for both me and Theory when I say we're not covering the impeachment because everyone is. It's fair it's fairly cut and dry. Phones off in the studio? It's fairly cut and dry. Hey, there's nothing to say just impeach hey, the guy hey, did on? you
1: really just answer a call what's in the middle hey, of hey, the sh- hey hang on a second hey what's up buddy how you doing no i'm no i'm good man. no we're just what banging is out this, banging out this end segment. oh hang, hang on a second buddy. i'm not i'm not messing with these end segments anymore he's doing his bullshit you're gonna say taylor swift No, I'll deal with this once we say hey beans it's up to you i'm clocked out peace well, yeah, so anyway, Taylor uh, Swift,
0: yeah, so anyway, Swift Bye guys Hey folks, it's Sense One third of the Sense and Theory podcast If you enjoyed today's episode, check us out At senseandtheorypodcast.com Where you'll find links to all our social media You can reach out to us on Facebook Argue with us on Twitter Or send us an angry email but Just knowing you guys are out there keeps us going If you really enjoy the show, hit up patreon.com slash senseandtheory and chip in a buck or two for coffee, beer, and this server bill that keeps going up with every subscriber we get. Even if you can't afford to give your monetary support, we'll be here cutting through the bias and extremism to try and find some common ground about things that matter.